we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Uh, listen, uh, there's one more moment that we want to have here. And as our prayer pastor, uh, Miss Lauren, makes her way to the stage. Uh, just recently, I came across a story uh, that I want to share with you all this morning. And we were just going to have a moment of intentional prayer. Uh, the story that I came across recently uh, was about um, a young Israeli girl uh, who was having a conversation, phone conversation, private phone conversation uh, with her Palestinian grandmother. And this conversation simply consisted of over and over again, them praying that the war would end. I know sometimes in our nation, in our world, um, this conversation can come, can get pretty sticky. Um, but what we want to do here at Ascent is recognize the tragedy, the things that's taking place in our world um, and simply enter into that same prayer space that that young Israeli girl and her Palestinian grandmother was having, uh, that, the world, that the war would end. And I invited our uh, prayer pastor, uh, Miss Lauren, to lead us and guide us into this moment. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, wow. To go to sleep safe. Presumably your government, your military keeps you safe. And you wake up and that little girl and her grandmother are now facing fear. Unimaginable fear and tragedy. That could be you. You could have family there. I know I'm on that bucket list. I want to go to Israel. That's what I was all about. And Dan Hauser was leading the way for this here group to go. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to say to you that are considering Israel, God says that we should be praying for the peace of Israel. And I want to just share a scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to sit down. Okay. okay. In Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Lord, today we want to recognize the plan of the enemy, it looks evil. But the plan of God is for peace. The plan of God is for victory. God is not unprepared for this moment that's happening in Israel right now. God is not unprepared for the fear that's riddling the bones of children, adults, governments, Netanyahu. God, you are a God of peace. You have a plan, and it's a good plan, to bring your kingdom to those nations that are at risk and at war one with another. And we speak, Lord God, we speak not fear. We speak the power 
that you have given us, this, the power of love and of a sound mind. Give that to those who are making the decisions right now in a faraway land that are going to affect the peace that comes to these children, to these leaders, to these military men and women. Lord, may your peace reign in Israel today. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. Lord God, have your way. Protect the innocent. In Jesus' strong name, we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. We appreciate you all stepping into this moment with us. And uh, John, you can make your way to the stage. We're going to continue on in our service. Thank you for stepping into that moment with us, acknowledging prayer, and that prayer works. <laughs> I, I know that I'm speaking, but I got so wrapped up with Miss Lauren. Yeah, I was like, I think I'm just going to sit and pray if that's cool. I gave you the cue, and I was I looking know, yeah, at yeah. you, and I was like, you, you missed your... That's where I was. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, it was so good. It was so good. Um, Lauren, thank you for honoring that moment and for leading us in that moment. No, I don't need that. You can read it if you like, if you get bored with my message. Man, uh, it's, hey, I'm going to get in my body for a minute and be with you all. It's good to be with you. It's good to see you this morning. As Maurice mentioned, my name is John. I'm the, one of the pastors here at Ascent, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning. I'm delighted to share um, what I've prepared in my own heart. And as always, my hope and my intention is that this would help you experience a step closer to healing and freedom. That's what I desire for humanity. It's what I want for you. And it's always my intention as I come up into this space. We're going to launch into a new series, like exciting, right? We're going to spend the next several weeks living into this series called Fan or Follower of Jesus. Am I a fan? Am I somebody who shows up, observes because I'm Jesus curious, as I like to say? Am I somebody who's just looking at the teachings of Jesus, considering that he might have something to say of significance that I want to give myself over to, but I'm not sure if I'm all in? Or am I a follower of Jesus, somebody who has said, yes, I'm ready, let's go, wherever you lead me, wherever you take me, that's where I want to be. As I ask myself that question, am I a fan or a follower, I think I would say yes to both. I am both fan and follower, that the two are not in contradiction with one another, but they somehow coexist in the human container that all of us carry around. That there are parts of me that I'm still not willing to yield over to the Lordship of Jesus. There's parts of me that I'm like, I think I wanna keep that for myself. But then there's other parts of me who are like all in. So as I wrestle through this morning and invite you to wrestle through this morning where you're at and to understand what we're fully looking at. So we're gonna take a, a deep dive this morning into understanding the thing that we're actually looking at and who is this person that we're looking at and what is he calling us to, what is he inviting us into? So when we throw out the term fan or follower, again, this is not an indictment. This is more of an invitation for you to observe. Where am I? Where am I situated in my posture towards Jesus? And then always as we are moving in the direction of Jesus, there are a couple of things that we want to do intentionally and that is to constantly reorient ourselves around the ways of Jesus and then to realign ourselves. It's about realignment and reorientation. And then once we understand what we're looking at to then live into the question, how do I then reevaluate my priorities in life? What are some things that I need to look at closer and some things that I may need to consider laying down, other things that I may consider picking up and moving towards as I pursue 
Christ. Now, as we reevaluate our positioning as we're moving towards Jesus, there's a couple of things that come up that I think are embedded in the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't come out and say these things, but as I've listened to the teachings of Jesus and have read and have heard myself, there's a couple of questions that have come up over and over again that I think are embedded in the teachings of Jesus. And I wanna ask you these questions this morning. And the first one is this, as you listen to the teachings of Jesus, the question that I see rising up is what makes you think the world is the way you see it? And the second question is this, what makes you think that people are the way that you see them? Reevaluating, constantly realigning and reorienting ourselves around the teachings of Jesus as we do our best to listen, interpret, and follow in his ways. So we're gonna take a key look at a, a moment in the life of Jesus this morning out of the gospel of Luke. And this particular story that we're gonna look at is all uh, centered around heart transformation what happens to a heart when it begins to see what it's actually looking at? And how does that heart transform and come alive? So again, for the next several weeks, we're leaning into the question, am I a fan? Am I a follower? Am I moving in the direction towards Jesus? And am I constantly reevaluating my own priorities in life? Now, the story that we're going to read, eight days prior to this story, Jesus is with his students, his, dis his disciples, and they're in a private prayer session and Jesus turns to his students and asks an important question and then is waiting for their response. And the question that he asks them is this, who do, who do you say that I am? Because there's lots of buzz around Jesus. There's lots of crowds gathering around Jesus. There's lots of fans who are coming to hear what Jesus is saying and what he's about. And there's all kinds of interpretations going on about this person, Jesus, like who is this person? And so Jesus asks, his closest followers, who do you say that I am? And some thought it was John the Baptist. Others were declaring that this is Elijah, a great prophet in Israel's history that had returned in human form and Elijah somehow showed up looking like this Jesus. Some thought he was a prophet of old that had returned in human form that was seeking to revitalize Israel and, and to wake them up and bring them back into victory. And Peter blots out real quick, he's got the answer. He's a great student and he throws out the correct answer, at least he thinks so. And he makes this declaration and says, you're the Christ, which means you're the Messiah. You're the long awaited king that was coming back to help Israel step back into freedom, to move from exile into freedom and connection, to get out of oppression and back into the place that they actually belong. And Jesus hears the response. And then he responds with this weird response as we often see in Jesus' response to things. And he says, the son of man, he refers to himself as the son of man. Now this is a reference back into the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of Israel's major prophets and embedded in Daniel's prophecy is this declaration that the son of man is going to return and help Israel move from exile back into freedom. And this son of man character will be the Messiah that will usher in this new move. Now, this is a commonly held belief among the Jewish people. And this is a deeply embedded belief in the Jewish psyche. So when Peter responds, he gives the correct answer. You are the correct. You are the Christ. What he's doing is he's saying, here are my right beliefs. So Peter has what we might call right beliefs. But what are these right beliefs rooted in? 
So we always have to reevaluate what our right beliefs are and are our right beliefs enough to actually help us move into heart transformation or do right beliefs, are they not enough to take us to a deeper level and a deeper space of, of revelation of who Jesus is? So let's read together Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Follow along with me as I read. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud a voice came from the clouds saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and they did not tell anyone at that time that they had seen. Here we go. Immediate observations in the text. You've got Moses, you've got Elijah, you've got splendor. Clothes are bright, faces are bright. You've got something significant going on in this very moment and the disciples are there and what do they do? They fall asleep. Here they are in this glorious moment and these followers, these, these students of Jesus fall asleep. That raises a question for me. Are right beliefs enough to keep us awake to what Jesus is up to in the world? Is having correct beliefs about Jesus enough to capture our hearts, our attention, and our imagination and to bring about heart significance transformation? Then the text tells us they move from sleep and they begin to wake up and now they begin to see who Jesus actually is, that he's not just the Christ, the Messiah, even though that's correct. They're moving into, oh, now we know what we're looking at. So surely now that they know what they're looking at, this has got to begin to change their heart posture. And then what happens? What's the result? Well, Peter opens his mouth again. And what does he say? He moves into ridiculous mode. Let's get three tents. Let's get a building campaign going. Let's put all of this into boxes and take this experience and see if we can capture it. Maybe later we can sell tickets and we can market this thing and bring people up to the mountain to have an experience. And it's such a human thing to do, isn't it? Let's capture this moment. Let's like keep it in a container. Let's see if we can control it. But the question I ask is how can you actually take the glory of God and put it in a box? Because every time you take the glory and the fullness of God and you try to put it into a container in a box, it literally blows out the walls. You can't do that. Now this word glory is such an important word in the Hebrew text. The word glory comes from the Hebrew word kavod. Isn't that just an amazing word, kavod? I like wanna say it all the time, the kavod of God, the fullness of God. 
And what kavod means is the weight of who God is, the significance, the matter. You can't see through kavod. You can't run from kavod. You can't hide from it. You can't get away from the kavod of God. It's so full, it's so weighty. It transcends everything in existence. That's how weighty it is. And Peter wants to take the kavod and put it into a box. Peter wants to take the fullness of God and say, we should just put this in a container. And here's Moses and Elijah in the story. What in the heck are Moses and Elijah doing in this story? What is the significance of their presence in this moment? I mean, these are two major players in Israel's history. So it will help us to understand, we need to step back into the big story of God to get the fullness and the brevity of what's going on. Moses and Elijah, show up on this mountaintop experience. The disciples fall asleep. They begin to wake up and realize what they're seeing. And Moses and Elijah are having a private conversation with Jesus and they're talking about his departure. Now that word departure is actually translated as exodus. So when you hear exodus language, that's like an indicator that we're going back into the exodus story in the Old Testament, the second book of the scriptures. And in the book of Exodus, it's a story of of God coming down and delivering his people out of the oppression of Egypt and bringing them into freedom from captivity. And this is done through Moses. So Moses is the chosen man to bring the people out of captivity and into freedom. And Moses gets the law of God up on a mountaintop. He's up on a mountain having an experience with the kavod, with the glory of God. And he's getting, getting this information. This is how I want you people to live. And then he comes down and he begins to give this life-giving message of how God wants his people to be. This is like a nod to Jesus, by the way, who Jesus goes up on a mountain and gives us what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then this is his manifesto. This is what I'm about. This is what my people are about. And begins to teach and give out the message of why he's here on this earth. So he's doing a total Moses move. It's like a second exodus is occurring. So Moses, this main character in the story, leads the people in Israel's history out of captivity and into freedom. And then when he's leading the people, he's getting more and more frustrated with these people because they're stiff-necked and they're resistant to change, just like humans, right? And he goes up on this mountain. And as he goes up the mountain, the glory of God comes down on the mountain and the mountain shakes and people are terrified. They're like, well, he ain't coming back, right? Moses goes up, he experiences the kavod of God and he's having an interaction with God. And it's really an interesting story because as Moses is interacting with this God, there's a a back and forth dialogue between these two. And Moses is saying, hey, we won't go another step without you. Your presence has to be with us. We, we can't move forward in the world unless you're with us. And God's response is, well, you're so stiff-necked, I can't be with you anymore. And, and Moses, he like refuses. He refuses to let go. And he says, no, we've got to have you. And God starts to barter with him. And he says, okay, and this is Exodus 33. And he starts throwing out this bartering back and forth. How about I send one of my best angels and that angel will lead you into victory That angel will give you military success. That angel is going to give you everything that your little hearts desire. And Moses in absolute wisdom says, no way. He says, without your presence, how will anyone know what we're about in the world? Without you marking who we are, all it is is parking problems and noise. We've got to have 
the presence of God, the full presence of God defining who we are and when we assemble or it's just a show. And so he knows, no, I'm not going to let go of this. And he has the audacity to say this, show me your glory. You're like, woo, show me your glory. Are you kidding me? Show me the fullness of who you are. Show me your kavod. And God says, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll let you see a glimpse of my glory because you can't handle all of it because if I showed you all of it, you would be done. So he says, I want you to go over to that cleft in the rock over there, get in it and I'm gonna pass by and all I'm gonna do is show you my backside because all you can handle is my backside. And he reveals one aspect of his glory and he says, I just want you to see my goodness because that's what you need. You need to see the goodness of God Not all of it, but just the goodness of God. And he passes by and Moses is forever changed. He moves from correct beliefs, right beliefs into worship. Worship is what changes the container. Worship begins to open up and go, now I'm waking up and I'm actually, I know what I'm looking at and I'm beginning to really see into the heart of what I'm looking at. And Moses begins to worship. He moves from correct beliefs into the fullness of who God is. Then you've got Elijah. Elijah is prophet number two, major player in Israel's history. Elijah is out there doing the work of God, proclaiming the goodness of God, not like generating a lot of excitement. And then he starts getting depressed and despondent. He starts getting on himself. He even has this one line where he says, I'm the only one in all of Israel that loves you, God. Nobody else loves you. You like, you know, at that point, things have not gone well. I'm it. God says, meet me up on the mountain. Oh, here we go. Elijah goes up on the mountain and it's the same thing. God meets him on the mountain and Elijah needs to move from just having correct beliefs, right beliefs into worship. And as he's on the mountain, it begins to shake. And then there's a fire and then there's a wind and then there's a a mighty earthquake. Everything is happening. You would think God is in all of this, but here's the, here's the crazy thing about the story is that God is in none of those things. But that's how you showed up in the past, God. And he's like, yeah, you can't put me in a box. You literally can't control the kavod of God. So stop it. And then God comes and reveals God's self to Elijah in a gentle whisper. Not in the fire, not in the quake, not in the wind, gentle whisper. Just when you think you've got God figured out, and he's always quaking the earth, he shows up as a fire. And just when you think he shows up as a a pillar of fire, he shows up as a mighty wind. And just when you think you've got him locked down in the wind, he shows up as a gentle whisper. And just when we think we've got God figured out, he makes a move. Said there's more, there's more. Elijah needed an experience. Elijah needed to get out of his own narrative and move into the fullness of who God is. And Elijah got again, a glimpse of who God is, a whisper. These students are looking at Jesus, Elijah, Moses, massive, massive movement happening right now. And then the glory cloud comes down on Jesus. It says, Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and it's just Jesus. And the voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. Listen. Now, listening means more than hearing. 
because you can hear and still not make a move. That doesn't mean that you actually heard what was said. Listening in the Hebraic mind and understanding means to obey and then to act. If I listen to the teachings of Jesus, I put those into practice and then I start making moves in that direction. Reevaluation, realignment, reorientation. Listen to Jesus carefully. Do you know what you're looking at? And what makes you think the world is the way you see it? Are you open to the glory and the significance of God? And are you ready to move from right beliefs to worship? I'm gonna ask you to stay seated for a few moments. And Jen is gonna sing a song over us. And if you wanna sing along, great. But I encourage you to listen to the lyrics. There's a particular lyric in the song that catches my attention. And you'll hear it in the song. It says, I'm caught up in your presence. I wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this moment. You've captured me. I never wanna leave. So let's listen together.
Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is the one who holds all things together. This cosmic Christ, this big, powerful Jesus, the fullness of the kavod of the God of the universe existing in this Christ, holding all things together, holding your life together, 
hear me. Divorce does not have the final word, friends. Broken relationships does not have the final word. That child that you are so concerned about that won't call you back, that does not hold the final word. Cancer does not hold the final word. Healing holds the final word. Freedom. Jesus holds it all. You can rest in that, friends. And I want to invite you this morning to consider praying the scary prayer. Doesn't that sound like a great invitation? Who wants to pray the scary prayer? (laughs) The prayer is this, show me your glory. Show me. Let's go. Show me your glory. Show me your glory in this, this inability to forgive this thing in my life. Show me your glory in this thing that feels like it's out of control. Show me your glory in this thing that seems like I can't understand it or make sense of it, but I want to try to manipulate it and control it. Show me your glory in that. Show me your glory in every aspect of my life so that I can move from simply observing you and looking at you and then realizing what I'm actually looking at and to be able to say that now I see I can't unsee this. And now that I've tasted, I can't untaste. And now that I know, I can't unknow. Show me, show us your glory, God. Show ascent your glory, come on. Show us, we're ready, are we? Do we know what we're looking at? Are we ready to jump in, to fully embrace, to to somersault into the glory of God? I mean, like who wants to somersault into the glory of God? Are you ready? Show us your glory, God.